The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Should have known better last week when we started this discussion of the greatest seasons of all time that there'd be too much to talk about, especially with us nerds. And so we are taking that to a part two. I encourage you to go back and listen to part one if you have not yet already, where we are basically coming up with the universe of all of the greatest seasons of all time. At the end of today's episode, John and I are each going to pick our top three greatest individual seasons of all time in order. I, I think just to recap a, a few things. John and I both put a little bit more focus on the regular season than the playoffs. But if you didn't have a good playoffs, you basically can't be considered for this is ultimately what it came down to. I think that's how we described it. And then also we are only picking two seasons per player. Otherwise, you'd probably have Jordan and LeBron James and uh, just completely blacking out the sun here. So it's more interesting to talk about some more players anything else any other caveats that i missed before we got started here uh, i think you about covered it all right well so when we left off we had gone through most of our candidates we hadn't gotten to bill russell or wilt chamberlain yet so clearly both those guys have to be in here do you want to start with chamberlain and uh which season or seasons that you picked for this discussion yeah so What's hard about this is that, so the NBA big picture has been a pretty poor custodian of its own history. We don't have many stats from these games, especially some of the stats we take for granted now. Uh, Bill Russell was an awesome defensive player by acclamation, and you can even see it on some of the grainy tape, but we don't really know how awesome they didn't track block shots or steals. Um, they didn't track a lot of things that we take for granted now. And so that makes it harder to develop a full picture of players' effectiveness vis-a-vis each other, especially when you're comparing two players of such high caliber. I mean, it was one thing to say, uh, you know, that Bill Russell was more more valuable to the Celtics than Frank Ramsey, right? Like that, yeah. <laughs> that 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 isn't hard, even with the numbers you had to work with. But uh, when when you when you start getting into finer detail, I think it becomes a much more difficult task. Uh, I think the thing that stands out. When you put these two guys together against each other, and even when you look at some of the accounts that were written at the time and um, some of the some of the tape that does exist, um, is that Russell's Russell's defensive skill was actually able to uh, contain Chamberlain in a 
in a fairly useful way in most in most of these matchups, and that he um, even if he didn't always statistically get the better of him, I mean he he obviously won most of their head to head matchups. He had a better supporting cast in a lot of them, uh, but not in all of them. And I think. You know, I've gone back and forth on on this debate a little bit because, I mean, Wilt's numbers, especially in his first three, four years of his career, were so overwhelming. But Ru- Russell just had a lot more impact on the on the end result. So, so it's a really interesting debate. I do think there was one season of Wilt's that really stands out, though, because he did really um, – he was still in his physical prime, but he did become, by this point, a much more complete player than he had been – earlier in his career. Um, and that would be when he got to Philadelphia, that 67-68 season. Um, they went 68-13. and 13. They won the championship. They beat the Celtics in five games in the conference finals and Wilt uh, outplayed Russell by a significant margin in that series. Uh, I, th- I think that, to me, is the year that was probably the all-around pinnacle of, of Wilt, even though he wasn't maybe at his most statistically productive uh, I think he was at his most effective as a basketball player that season. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to rely, by the way, I mentioned this yesterday uh, on the awesome work of my colleague on the COVID Daily News podcast, Ben Taylor. And he also uh, talks about basketball, by the way. <laughs> That's how we know each other. But his top 40 players of all time on backpicks.com, I, I thought really broke some new ground. He came out with that series uh, about two years ago. And what he came up with uh, for Will, I mean, I'm sure people are wondering, like, well, hey, he averaged 50 points a game in 61-62 and, like, you know, 25 rebounds. And, uh, you know, why isn't that? I mean, we could talk a little bit more uh, about that season. But, yeah, I agree with you, John. I thought that 67 was the most well-rounded season of Will's career. He also had an awesome supporting cast. I mean, you had Luke Jackson and Hal Greer and Billy Cunningham were all on that team and so Wilt kind of moved into more of a passing mode he didn't lead the league in assists he did that the next year uh when he really uh, accounts indicated that he was really just like trying to do that uh but this was probably the best blend of scoring and t-ball and also I think what some of Ben's research brought around to me too is that Wilt was probably the second best defensive player of his era he wasn't known for that and people forget that about him I think because he uh was you know, Russell was the defense guy and Chamberlain was the offense guy, but Chamberlain yeah. is definitely the second best defense player of his era. Even if you go back to like 1972, he really shut down Kareem, for example, in the, uh, that epic Western Conference finals between two all time great teams. So yeah, what were, uh, the stats like for Russell or for, uh, Chamberlain individually in that 67 season? Yeah. I mean, they were, you know, they were good, you know, but that, like I said, it was, it just wasn't. It wasn't like the 50 points a game that you talk about earlier in his career. Part, partly the game slowed down a little bit as you get further into the 60s. I mean, he he averaged 24 points, 24 rebounds, 23.8 rebounds, 8.6 assists, uh, shot 59.5% and 38% from the line. 38% from the line. That's incredible. That, that it was so, I mean, that's really, if he could have shot free throw, I mean, Shaq too, like they would have just been so even, even more ridiculously uh, efficient players yeah i mean and that philly team being so awesome too i mean that's really where for wilt as much as people would want to say that he wasn't a winner and there certainly were some tendencies with that team this is his age 30 season so he was kind of figuring it out he had alex hannam as a coach one of the greatest coaches of all time but that team was first in, in offense 
uh, third in defense uh, out of 10 teams. And uh, you're not getting number one when you're going up against it, when there's a Bill Russell team in the league. So, you know, they're really the, the second best defense uh, among mortals. They were a little luckier than expected. They only uh, had an expected one loss of 61 and 20 per uh, basketball reference, but then to just completely destroy the Celtics, ending their eight straight championships uh, and then an easy win in the finals uh, as well. Um, so overall, I mean, I think this is a more interesting discussion of just how valuable of a player overall would you say that Wilt was? Do you think he's overrated historically, underrated historically? Maybe marginally overrated. I mean, that it's interesting because the narrative all when I was growing up, the narrative was that Russell was the better player. And then as um, people like me got involved um, and people started looking back at his numbers, uh, people were like, holy shit, like Wilt was really good, right? And now I think part of it has started to flip back the other way as we've gotten a little more nuanced with everything we're, we're looking at and, and uh, realized that maybe we were missing a lot of Russell's impact that, okay, maybe, maybe we're more comfortable with Wilt as a top 10 all-time player, but... Maybe we're not as sure if he was a top five all-time player. And so, you know, that 50 points a game season, number one, remember that he played basically, he averaged 48.5 minutes a game. He basically played every single minute of the game. And when I went back and looked at his stats, you know, probably three or four years ago, I was like, this is incredible. 51% true shooting. Well, the league average is like, you know, 45%. In, in those days, I'm like, this is incredible. Like he's, uh, yeah, 51% true shooting is not that great for today, but he's 6% better than the league average. He's playing 48 minutes a game and then looked at it more closely again it, with the, again, with some, uh, hat tip to Ben's research. And you would think that this sort of a player on that incredible amount of volume, um, you know, again, the 50 points that's worth noting they're playing 120 possessions a game at that point. So with the 48 minutes and the, you know, that's probably more akin to averaging like 35 a game today. Still very good, but not, not the same. Yeah. Um, that the, his team offense actually wasn't that amazing in 61, 62. And the reason that Ben put out there, which I, I, I think is a, a plausible explanation is that Chamberlain kind of had an on off switch. He either, got the ball and tried to score or he would just stand there and try to pass to guys cutting around him but what he wasn't good at was drawing defensive attention and actually making the plays for others to boost the overall offense of the team certainly having a player who has you know five six percent plus relative true shooting on that kind of usage is awesome you know but he's really only affecting the possessions that he himself uses as opposed to the great offensive engines of today. And even, you know, someone yeah. like Oscar, for example, where his team, he was the only guy in his team, but his team was number one every year. He's averaging 20, 10 assists. Yeah. Um, the, so the other void here is we don't have turnover data for this era. Yes. So we suspect Wilt was a high turnover player, but we don't know it. We can't prove it. And more than, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We, we we can't we we can't systematically prove it. We can uh, you know use inferences and and things we see and co- kind of yeah. interp interpolate from it. Yeah, a- anecdotal reports at the time from newspaper articles and whatnot did indicate that he turned it over more than some other players, at least. Um, now you know it's all based on how many possessions he's using as well. But you know, like a Michael Jordan never turned it over. That was part of his brilliance. You know that that wasn't the reputation that Wilt had necessarily. Um, but then defensively, you know, I think he, again, he's, he's underrated. His defenses uh, were 
very solid over the years and that 67 season going back to that that was the season where he best blended the scoring and passing and he had all these other great players around him and i think teams hadn't kind of figured out that oh he's going for like really trying to pass way more now uh and so they still guarded him like he was the crazy score and then he was doing all this passing and that uh opened things up for those great teammates that he had and that is a year of course as i mentioned that they have the number one offense um so is that the only wilt season 67 that you would have in there you wouldn't consider uh 61 62 i think uh, yeah no i mean i think you have to consider it but i i i mean i actually had that circled as russell's best season <laughs> and russell was the guy who won the mvp that year yeah um, I, I had a different Russell season, actually, so maybe we, we can shift to talking about that. Let's take a quick break first, though. If you are in search of some entertainment these days, but also something that is going to increase your knowledge, let me recommend Blinkist. 12 million people now use Blinkist. They have this massive library in which they give you the key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books, condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. I mean, even think about it. Even if you're just getting ready in the morning and taking a shower, fire up that little Bluetooth speaker and listen to it in 15 minutes uh, while you're getting ready, and you just learn the key takeaways uh, from a whole book. A lot of us don't have time to read entire nonfiction books, but this is a way to assimilate that knowledge. Nonetheless, The Secrets of Power Negotiating by Roger Dawson, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. They have a ton of biographies as well. One of my favorite books that was formative for me at a young age was Emotional Intelligence by Daniel Goleman. Really, any nonfiction book that you ever wanted to read, odds are it's going to be out there for you at Blinkist. The way to get started with them is Blinkist, like blinking your eyes, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash P-E-R. Easy to remember because John invented P-E-R. Talk about it a lot in this episode, in fact. And that Blinkist.com slash P-E-R link will allow you to try it for free seven days and then save 25% off your new subscription as well once again you get a free seven-day trial and then you can also save 25 percent off your new subscription at blinkist.com slash per don't forget that slash per link to let them know that you came from us i've been using postmates for a long time almost five years now i think but there's never been a better time to get started with them because they are giving our listeners 100 dollars of delivery credits over their first seven days they normally charge a delivery fee you get a hundred dollars of credits towards those delivery fees over your first seven days to start your free deliveries download the app and use the code locked on nba postmates can get you anything that's sold in stores they've got an app on apple or android just scroll through there see if some of your favorite restaurants are, are available for delivery don't forget that locked on nba code to get the hundred dollars of free delivery credit with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download that postmates app anything you need anytime you need it postmate it so where i wanted to start with talking about russell is that my general approach to analyzing basketball these days is that a great offensive player is more valuable to his team than a great defensive player now i think most people would agree with that right like rudy gobert is not in the mvp conversations if you look at a lot of the advanced metrics you get more greater extremes on the offensive side of the ball positively than you do defensively Mm -hmm. um back then though when 
the level of competition wasn't as high. You had a player with modern defensive skills, maybe even, you know, I mean, I think Russell still would have been an awesome defender today and just had preternatural anticipation. And he's playing the entire game as well. A defensive player, and it's borne out in the numbers for what this team did defensively. Uh, again, these are estimates because, you know, we don't have possession data, but you can kind of extrapolate it pretty well. There's formulas out there that do that. Basketball reference does it. Uh, but what Russell was able to do for his team defensively was a larger impact than any player was having offensively at that time. Yeah. And if you think about it, it makes some sense because so the way they're playing then, there's no three pointers and there aren't really any centers who are going to pull him away from the basket. So you basically had this, you know, pterodactyl guarding the rim the entire game that you, that you just had to deal with. And, and, and there was no real three point option to, to kind of offset that. So. It, it really made it hard hard to score in that era. Yeah, and he, I mean, a big part of scoring was posting up, but Russell really shut those guys down a, a lot. You know, if you go back and look at some of the head-to-head numbers, for example, Will, I think in that 50-point uh, season, you know, he was averaging like 36 against Russell. And again, when he's playing 48 minutes a game uh, and his efficiency is way down as well, that, that makes a huge difference. Um and those Celtics defense, the season that I wanted to look at, well, why don't you tell me about why you had 62 as uh, as your best Russell season? So it was his age 27 season. It was uh, either his best or among his best offensive season. Uh, he had a good playoffs. And I also felt like they needed every inch of Russell in order to win that year. Uh, Bob Cousy was at the end of the line. They didn't have Havlicek yet. Um, so they, like, they won, uh, both series in seven games, right? They beat Wilt in seven in, uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals. And then they had to win in seven again in, in the NBA Finals. And Russell was huge in those, in those playoffs, like he was almost every year. And if, if it's not for him, they, they just, like, you can, you can pretty clearly say, I mean, he was so good that you'd say, well, if not for him, maybe every year. But certainly in this one, he was the driving force that just carried them to to the title that year uh, over prime Wilt and you know a lot, some other good competition. So I ju- I just thought that was that was the one year when I went through his uh, his file that stood out. He did win the MVP that year. The Celtics had the best record in the league, but it was sixty and twenty. It wasn't one of these sixty five win romps they had, and that you know. That Laker team they played in the finals was good, right? That was that was the West Baylor Lakers, and and they managed to to hold them off. Yeah, I think it, that's persuasive as well. I would go with 1964. That was by far their best defensive team. I'll give you some numbers for that again. Thanks to to Ben for some of these. They were just incredibly dominant over that 62 to 65 period. Their mm-hmm. average margin of victory as a team is eight points a game. Only two other teams. Remember, you got this eight-team league. It's harder to be totally dominant. I mean, you could to win more championships. It's easier, but it's also harder to statistically separate yourself from the rest of the league. And so they're winning games by eight points a game. The next best in that period is four points a game, and that's the '64 Royals and the '64 Warriors. Both those teams got waxed four-one by Boston. Uh, the Warriors had by that point moved to the West and San Francisco 
and the Royals. You mentioned that was Oscar's best season as well. They just completely destroyed them. Let me give you the numbers on their defense in that season. Actually, let me start with this. This is the most ridiculous thing. Per basketball reference, the Celtics had the worst offense in the NBA that season. And they went 59 and 21 with the yeah. worst offense in the NBA. That will tell you how ridiculous their defense was. It's a nine team league at that point. 11 points per 100 possessions better than the league average on defense. And keep in mind, that's a league average that includes them and there's only nine teams. So if you look at what the league average is without them, it's even better. 11 points per 100 possessions. Like that's just an all-time great team just with their defense. In fact, they gave some of that back uh, on offense. And if you want to compare that to the modern day, the 04 Pistons, the 93-94 Knicks, the 08 Celtics, those are probably statistically relative to league average your best modern day defenses. Those are teams are around five points per 100 better than the league average. Boston is five points per 100 better than the second best defense. Yeah. It was unreal. And and Russell also in his autobiography even said that the the 64 team was the best defensive team. Uh, And so it was just like, that's the effect that he had. Now they had other good defenders by that time. Casey Jones, Seth Sanders, those guys were really well known as being great defensive players as well but i mean to do that and then these to completely destroy the second best two teams of that era of like three or four years that's why i was just so so impressed by what russell did i mean it just the impact that he was able to have on defense and again he's playing the whole game too so you can very easily extrapolate the overall team ratings to what his effect was just just incredible um Mm -hmm. and there's there's a reason why they won eight championships in a row. I mean, part of it was only having to play two series a lot of these ways, but it was, uh, and, and they got lucky in some of those years, but they were, they were the best team every single year of that too in the regular season. Yeah. Yeah. The Russell was the MVP in, uh, he won other ones, but that 62 to 65 stretch, he was the MVP three of those four years. And then Oscar won it that 64 season. Um, so I think both 62 and 64, I I would, I'd be happily nominate both of those. Um, any other seasons that, uh, pop out to you here as we've had like a week or so to think about this? Giannis Antetokounmpo, 2019-20. Yeah. It's, uh, the the ending has yet to be written, but 31.6 player efficiency rating, whatever that is, um, you know, just uh, le- leading a dominant season by the Bucks without a- another superstar level player. I mean, a good supporting cast. Don't get me wrong. Very good, strong supporting cast, but not not a superstar, not another superstar on the team. Probably not another Hall of Famer on the team. Maybe you know, we'll see what happens with Chris Middleton. Uh, I mean, it's his, it's him basically, right? At both ends, uh, awesome defensively, and then he's the entire offense or or a lot of the offense. And I I think he's having an absolutely historic season this this year uh, that that should be talked about along this uh, along this discussion. Now the the one element of it is we don't have a playoffs filled in yet. Uh, he his season last season I thought would have been able to be in the discussion had he outplayed Kawhi Leonard in the conference finals, but he was outplayed by Leonard, and I think that took some of the shine off it. Uh, just enough to kind of get it out of this elite, elite category that we're talking about. I think this season he's been even better in the regular season. His team has been even better in the regular season, having one of the great regular seasons in NBA history. And it's just a question of what he can fill in in the playoffs. Yeah, I think it's when you look at the other talent around him, it clearly all revolves around him. Now, that that talent maximizes him 
you know, they, I would say the team overall is more than the sum of its parts. But when you look at, I mean, I think his individual net rating when he's on the floor is like plus 16, plus 17. And his individual defensive rating is like a 96. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I think is pretty much the best in the league of any high minute players. Uh, uh, their overall defense is just way better than any other team. Yeah, I think so. His value during the regular season is definitely up there. It's just a question of how it's going to play for him in the playoffs. And, you know, there's still offensively, he's still a little bit of a one trick pony. And so I want to see if like, is that one trick so good that no one can stop it this year? Or is he going to get slowed down again? Like he did. I mean, he certainly had a great playoffs the first two rounds last year. So, uh, and, and that Toronto team was an all time great defensive team. I'm not sure that they're going to face a defense in the playoffs this year. That's as good as that Toronto defense last year. So yeah, yeah. he uh, incomplete, but certainly on pace for one of the all time great seasons. I, I would agree with you. Let me throw this one out there. We got a couple of comments on this one. Uh, I was going to mention it anyway, but, uh, Moses Malone, 1982, 83. That's fo, the fo, fo. Fo. That's right. Yeah. But uh, they ended up going 12 and one, but they sweep the Lakers, dominate them in the finals. That was his first year in Philly, age 27 season and, uh, had a, Led the NBA in playoff PER, only 26 uh, overall, uh, but just one of the greatest offensive rebounders of all time. Uh, really dominated Kareem in the NBA Finals. Kareem was a little bit of a different player at that point, couldn't deal with his physicality. And 65 and 17 in the regular season, one of the, the better teams uh, of all time. So uh, that's one. And uh, he led the playoffs with a 15% offensive rebound percentage. And 28% defensive rebound percentage, 22% overall rebound percentage in yeah. the playoffs. And a 99 offensive rebound percentage on his own misses. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, Moses, I, I think he's a, a interesting player historically. You know, he might be maybe the worst passer of any all-time great offensive player, but he made up for it uh, with his fantastic offensive rebounding yeah and it, that was the year he just was so physically down he had a much quicker drop off after that at age 27 uh than you might have expected uh, and the philly team experienced a, a similar drop off in subsequent years yeah that but, philly team to me that was just i mean to me it wasn't like as good as moses was that year he was definitely the most valuable player in the league that year it was more just that was just like a magical team moment like everything just came together and clicked on that team so yeah. perfectly once they traded for Moses and that that was the thing I more remember about that team you know you had you have Moses coming right when you have Andrew Tony and Cheeks in in their prime and Bobby Jones and Julius Irving are still good enough to be really you know important significant players and then you get Mark Iavaroni from the University of Virginia coming in and dominating <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Was was his playing career or his coaching career better? Oh, man, it got cold in here all of a sudden. <laughs> no, I, the one thing I remember about that was like when I used to play video games as a kid. You know, like uh, some game that that I had had like that team in it, mm -hmm. and the first thing that I did was like take him out of the starting lineup to like put <laughs> when I was playing with them. Yeah. Yeah. He was the, because Bobby Jones was always a sixth man. Mark Arberoni was like the, he was the uh, sort of the Myers Leonard of his day where he was like the fake starter that, that began the game, but never finished it. Oh man. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I think that it wouldn't be close to a nomination for my top three, but you know, you win yeah. MVP all time. Great season. Lead the playoffs in PER. 
uh, your team completely dominates in the playoffs. Like that's that's got to be up there. Yeah, uh, the, at least, a, a at least memorable season, certainly. Yeah, yeah. The other two players that I think we should at least talk about before we get into uh, our top three. Um, actually, let's take a quick break first for you. What's up, sports fans? Matt Peck here, host of Locked On Bulls, and I want to talk to you really quickly about another excellent podcast. Huge Fan is a new Sirius XM original podcast where stars talk sports. Each week, join host LaChina Robinson as she chats with your favorite celebs about childhood sports memories, game day rituals, the most heated rivalries, and more. And this new season features huge names like Anthony Ramos from In the Heights and Hamilton, Pat Carney from the Black Keys, Mel C, that's right, a.k.a. Sporty Spice from the Spice Girls, and even actress Michelle Williams talking about her love for our very own Chicago Bulls. Huge Fan is a fresh way to connect with your favorite artists, actors, and personalities about something we all understand, fandom. Huge Fan is now out on Pandora, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. David Harrison here, the Locked on Washington football team podcast, celebrating with you a 21-grain salute to a less boring sandwich Thanks to Dave's Killer Bread. I don't know about you guys, but when I eat pizza, I eat it for the toppings, not the crust. And when I eat a sandwich, it's for what's inside the bread, not for the bread. But when I throw a sandwich on 21 whole grains and seeds, thin sliced bread from Dave's Killer Bread, it is the epitome of addition by subtraction. That thin sliced bread lets me focus on what's inside the sandwich, but also adds to the sandwich with killer taste, killer texture, killer nutrition, a subtle sweetness, and a seed-coated crust. Dave's Killer Bread is America's number one organic bread for a reason it tastes so stinking good dave's killer bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-gmo ingredients and is power packed with whole grains fiber and protein visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for dave's killer bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store yes so the other players i wanted to talk about got a lot of james harden comments does he deserve to be any of his seasons deserve to be in this discussion man 17 18 is probably your best your best hope there 65 win team wins the mvp um you know really had some near unprecedented scoring streaks so that's really that was maybe more than next year but their defense is actually good for one of the few times in his yeah career. yeah because i mean Kind of a blah defensive player. So if his offensive output wasn't really phenomenal, it's tough to put him in that, in that highest tier. But I mean, that, that 17, 18 season probably qualifies, right? Like, I mean, eight, 18, 19 was really good too, though. They did, I mean, they didn't win yeah. as much. Well, so obviously the playoff performance, even before they lost to the Warriors was not particularly impressive. Now they're going up against a really good defense in Utah in two of those three series that we're talking about in 18 and then in the 19 playoffs so he does have some pretty uh and those especially utah in particular is designed to take him away but he didn't really have i mean he really only probably had one ultra dominant playoff game in those uh those two playoffs and i think for me also he just wasn't the best player in the league like when i was doing my top 10 players in the nba rankings now granted a lot of that's based on playoff performance but Mm -hmm. i just didn't you know lebron james was better than him i think even in 2018 i don't think anyone would have argued with that i think most people would have said that steph curry and kevin durant were better than james harden yeah at that point too and yeah this is supposed to be about okay what did you do in that season but 
it's tough for me to put a guy who is the fourth best player in the league those seasons on this list. Yeah, I'm 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 with you on that. His I mean that was a as awesome as that stretch was and amazing as it was to watch. It just you can't you can't quite put it in the in the company of like like this is a hard group to break into we're talking here, right? This is like yeah. over a stretch of 50 seasons or 60 seasons, we're pay, we're talking about like the best 15, right? So this is this is this is a tough nut to crack. The other player that I was looking for a season from Probably your best bet would be 96, 97, but I don't think quite makes it is Carl Malone. Yeah. Carl Malone and Kevin Durant both, I was looking for seasons that. Yeah. That KD really... was another one, too. Yeah. I mean, the, his 13, 14 was yeah. an all time season, but he just, you know, he kind of flamed out in the playoffs a little bit that year. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, it was funny. We played that, we played that team in the first round and, uh, and ne- nearly got All-time past them great with forgotten series, but yeah, with, with, they had Durant and Westbrook. We took them to seven games and, uh, and Zebo got suspended for game seven, unfortunately. And, and they, um, they, I don't know if it would have mattered because they made every single shot in that seventh game, but that, I don't yeah, know. You guys, was, you guys were up three, two. And also weren't you, you, you win game five on the road. Wasn't there. Like a game where like Russell Westbrook like ripped up Mike Conley at half court and like like you guys were about to win and OKC like came back. Maybe that was game four. I want to say you guys were about to go up three one in that game four. You, you might remember better than me though. So I game just game talking. four, uh, we we could have we they missed a shot. Uh, we didn't get the rebound. Reggie Jackson got it and hit the shot to tie the game at the end of regulation. And then Reggie Jackson actually made a couple big shots in overtime and won that game for him. And yeah, that was the crucial game. You know what's funny though? We did not win a game in regulation that whole series. We <laughs> played four straight overtime games and we won three of them. Yeah. Well, in, in any event though, uh, Kevin Durant in part probably because he had to play against Tony Allen, you know, didn't have, uh, and he had to play against Kawhi Leonard in the conference finals. Didn't have the type of playoffs that I think uh, he was hoping to have that year. And then, you know, some of his Warriors seasons, like some people nominated 1670, he missed 20 games that year um, and, and didn't even come back until the start of the playoffs and then missed a little more time in the first round. And yeah, he was awesome by the end of those playoffs. He but, was awesome when he played in those playoffs. But yeah. looking at the whole body of work in the season and, and where the bar is for, for some of this, he can't quite get there. Yeah, Carl Malone is interesting because was, he was never as good in the playoffs as he was in the regular season. Um, you never quite got that whiff of like, I'm watching, I'm watching greatness here. Like, yeah. it was just this like, incredibly consistent workmanlike player which was like hugely hugely admirable in his own way like probably got as much out of his ability as about any player who's played where he wasn't even he didn't even hit his prime until he was like 35 because he just kept getting more accurate as a shooter and more uh built you know he was kind of this uh svelte guy when he entered the league and he was a tank by the time he left it and uh so really admirable in 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 that way and just how consistent and durable and and uh and how and tenacious uh he could be but at at the highest levels he just wasn't he just wasn't quite on that on that elite elite superstar caliber with some of these other players that we've talked about yeah and Malone led the NBA in PR 29 during the regular year won that MVP and then in the playoffs, his true shooting dropped by 10 percentage points. And he just, you know, he had a couple of big games, like game five of, uh, 
maybe that was actually that might have been ninety eight where he had the, the that the game five points. in Chicago. I think it was ninety eight. Yeah. yeah, he was. Re- yeah. That was the one time where he really got the best of Dennis Rodman in those matchups. That yeah. that 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 was a that was a tremendous performance. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because game five of ninety seven was in Utah. Um, okay, are we uh, are we ready to get into our top three here? Yeah, I think so. Okay, your number three best season of all time. Oh, we're uh, we're, we're okay. We're going backwards here. Okay, uh, so the, yeah, number three was a hard one for me. There's there were a lot of these seasons that we yeah. talked about that were I, pretty I agree. epic. I'm sorry. I said uh, I agree. Well, let's uh, if three is harder, let's let's do one and two first. Then maybe that maybe that makes more sense. Seems like okay. So the two seasons that, that completely stood out to me. Yeah. Uh, number one, uh, the Michael Jordan '91. Okay. Yeah, I, that was one of my top two. Um, and I, I still haven't decided yet between that and my number two, which is LeBron James 2013. Let's uh, let's talk about it. Okay. You, you you thought that Jordan 91 was better than James 13. Yeah. I just, I mean, for me, Jordan gets the benefit of the doubt a little bit when you start comparing eras and realizing how much harder it was for a guard to dominate in the early 90s versus for a perimeter player to dominate in the, you know, 2012, 2013 era. So mm-hmm. I, I think, I think there's that. I think, um, just the, I, I, I I know that was a special season in Miami. I don't want to take anything away from that, but I mean, to me, Prime Jordan was just such a force of nature at both ends every single night. Uh, I I still think he's the best player of all time, and that was that was him at his absolute peak. It's just so hard for me to argue against that. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I mean, I think Miami had the Bulls definitely had the more dominant playoffs that year, fifteen and two, which was the the second best playoff run ever at at that time and he beats Barkley pretty easily in the second round vanquishes those Pistons in a pretty ugly sweep those Pistons teams were on the downside Isaiah had been injured during that season you know he he wasn't 100 percent they'd had some injury issues in that series beforehand with the Celtics and then the the Lakers Bulls were up 2-1 but then James Worthy and uh byron scott got injured they end up winning it in five the lakers might have won another game in there the bulls were definitely the better team in that series but um i mean he did beat a a lot of other all-time hall of fame players in that run but i would also say that that spurs team that lebron beat in 2013 was better than any of the teams that jordan beat in that run um who do you think was better defensively that year? jordan yeah to me with it to me without a doubt yeah, the Heat weren't that great defensively that season. I mean, I think they probably had a better defense. Maybe LeBron's best defensive season might have been 2012. And remember, it was a tough call to even get between 2012 and 2013. And we also, our other nominee, by the way, for LeBron was 09, and our other Jordan nominee was 93. Yes. Um, How about this for Jordan? Yeah. Yeah. PR of 32 in the playoffs. Yeah, he was absolutely unstoppable. He also did a lot of history. I think he might have averaged 10 assists in that uh, Lakers series as well, pretty close to that. And yeah, I mean, I'm kind of trying to play devil's advocate here. This, it really is splitting hairs. I think ultimately the fact that Jordan's team is a little more dominant in the playoffs. Now, part of that was because Wade was injured. He didn't really give him much in those playoffs, but you know, Jordan wasn't going seven against, uh, you know, the Indiana Pacers in, in, uh, the conference finals, right? Wow. Um, I completely forgot about that Heat Pacers 
series that year. We were in our own conference finals at the time, so we were kind of you know, otherwise. <laughs> well, you should have had plenty of time to watch the last three games. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. We on the team side when your season ends, you like you you just stop watching. You you just launch oh, totally. right into the off season stuff, and you're doing all the year end stuff. You like you end up barely watching a lot of the playoff games for a while. Oh yeah, no, I I, I would imagine, and uh, you know, considering that my team has never actually made it to a conference finals, I should probably I should probably shut up. But uh, I I'm ultimately inclined to agree with you. I think I it sounds like I think it may be a little bit closer uh, than what what you have. Uh, I just think that that Bulls team is just a little bit more dominant, a little bit more consistent, and so I, I ultimately would go with that too. But James 2013, is there anything else that was close to that for you outside yes. of other Jordans and James seasons? Yes. Uh, Kareem's year with the Bucks. 1971. Yeah. yeah. That's, that was definitely easily in the top five for me. I, the, I, yeah. I actually put that second. Second. Oh, baby. Yeah. All right. Let's hear. Sorry. I, I, I jumped the gun completely to be comparing the Jordan and LeBron seasons then. I so, mean, uh, let's, let's hear it for that season. Well, I mean, I, so. It's a hard one for me again because I um I'm I'm old but I'm not this old. Um I you know I wasn't uh I wasn't born yet when this season happened. So uh so we obviously we're reconstructing a little bit but just the 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 dominance on a team that wasn't a flagship franchise or anything that was you know basically an expansion team to just come in and and destroy the whole league like this uh to to me was was almost absurd and i i think it's one of the great underrated accomplishments in league history because it happened in milwaukee and not in la or new york uh you know people the way people talking fawn over like the 69 knicks like you don't hear anything like that about the 71 block bucks but they just like they just killed everyone the whole season right they won 66 games well only lost twice in the playoffs um you know swept Swept the finals. I mean, they, like they they were just completely dominant. They could, I mean, they lucked into a great finals matchup because the Bullets were only forty two and forty that year. But still, I mean, like they were the the this was a dominant team, and it was they had a good supporting cast, but it was a it was a single dominant player having an absolute dominant season that that was the centerpiece of the whole thing and again the way the nba was played then if you had an awesome center it's the complete flip-flop of how it is now it was such a it was such an advantage because there were no three-point shots and nobody really bothered much with floor spacing and it was just a completely different game and and the big man ruled it the reason i didn't have Kareem in my top three it was in my top fives I thought his playoffs individually weren't that amazing and they didn't really necessarily beat anyone I mean they had a great regular season 66 and, and 16 but they didn't really beat anyone and he was down like five percent in true shooting from his uh from his regular season and it just like, it wasn't quite as impressed uh, with the playoffs but, and then also the, the competition he, in the yeah. league was at a little bit of a low ebb right there i i will say that yeah that was a big i mean if he has that same season in 1972 and they win the championship i think i would be right there with you Mm -hmm. but and the other thing that stuck out to me is it's just i don't know i thought he was really at his best in the mid 70s and it was it was hard for me to pick a season of his where he was actually a much better player four years later i think pretty much anyone would agree with that because he got stronger the 
quality in the league, particularly after the ABA came in, was better. I mean, I thought 76, yeah. 77 was probably when he was at the height of his powers, but then they just got wrecked in the conference finals by the Blazers, and that's what ruined that season. Like, if they if they win the championship that year, it's easily a top three season of all time, I think. And, you know, he was winning more of his MVPs then. So that's part of why I couldn't get there, because I just felt like if he was a much better player four or five years later, how can I pick this season as one of the top three of all time? Like, I, I want to pick a all-time great player at what I consider to be their apex. Yeah, that's a fair argument. Um, the... I, I mean, like I said, I, I, I struggled more with Kareem because like, I, I mean, I saw Jordan's whole career. I saw LeBron's whole career. So it was much easier for me to yeah. place the whole context, uh, than it is when we go back to Kareem and Wilt and Russell. Well, so, so here, for example, here's his playoff stats, Kareem in 77, when they still lose to the Blazers, by the way. And, and I'll get his stats from that series, but 32 PER in the playoffs leads the, the league did have a 25 PR in 71, which also led the league. Uh, and then 64% true shooting versus 55% uh, in uh, 76-77. And in that series against the Blazers, let me pull it up here. Yeah, the uh, the rest of this Laker team was was not good. I had D- Don Chaney, 32-year-old Cassie Russell. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that didn't do it for you as their uh, number two and three in minutes yeah, played in the exactly. playoffs for that team? Exactly. Yeah, it was really a really a pretty weak supporting cast there. Yeah, let me pull up his averages for that se- that series against the Blazers. And what's odd is that '77 season, everyone associates with another player. Yeah, right? B- Bill Walton, and yeah. I mean, and the narrative is that Walton killed Kareem in that series, and Kareem has 30 in Game One, 40 on 17 to 23 in Game Two, while Bill Walton has 14 points. Blazers win both of those games. Mm-hmm. Then Kareem has a struggle in game three at home. That that one probably is what really stuck out to a lot of people. And then they're down 3-0 at that point. And he does have 30 again as they as they get swept. But, you know, Walton was 19 points on 8-22 from the field and six assists in the clincher. So I, I this idea that Walton just, like, dominated him in that series doesn't really hold up when you really look at what was going on. I mean, I'm sure people who watched it were like, oh, yeah, you know, he was just having this great effect on him. But statistically, that's not really uh, indicated. Right, right. And, and that Blazer team had you know, much, much better players th- than the... Uh... Now, Bill Walton's 1978, that's another one. That could have been on here if he doesn't get hurt. And, uh, and they, they go on losing. to win the title, right. Yeah. 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 So here's my number three. Bill Russell, 64. We talked about it already uh, on this episode mm-hmm. where that was their best team, their best defensive team, over 10 points per 100 possessions better than the league average defensively, and they beat two of the other best teams of that era, 4-1, 4-1 in the playoffs. So that's that's probably number three to me. Um, and then I would have James, 2013, number two, and Jordan, 91, as my number one. Yeah. The, uh, the, other, the other two seasons that I gave serious consideration to here – um, Steph Curry, fifteen, sixteen. Yeah, I just couldn't go there because of the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. So that that, and I had the same hesitation. And then Shaq's nineteen ninety nine, two thousand. Yeah, that's. I mean, it, I thought of Magic's nineteen eighty seven. LeBron's oh nine was awesome. I mean, these are tough because you're if you're really thinking yeah. about okay, when was this player really playing as best? Sometimes that just isn't borne out in the results because they lost in the playoffs and it mm-hmm. wasn't their fault or something. But it's just you, you can't 
you can't pick a non-championship season for the top yeah. three of all time. And of course, you it. could argue that the other thing we should have at number two is Jordan's 1993. Right. Absolutely. Uh, or uh, and that was uh, that was the year they beat uh, Richard Dumas and the Phoenix Suns in the uh, finals. <laughs> I don't know. Richard Dumas, given his history, I I was trying to think of the connection. I was like, I don't think he went to Virginia. No, so why, no. Why is he bring? Because usually when you bring up someone obscure, it's someone I didn't realize he went to Virginia. No, no, he didn't go to Virginia. Just one of the amazing out of nowhere and then right back to nowhere seasons in NBA history. He was like he was awesome in the finals that year. Like he was so good, and then it just uh, fizzled. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I mean that I kind of it's easier to just like pick some someone else's season, but yeah, I mean I would go with Jordan's ninety three over. Kareem 71. I think I would do that personally. I think, I think I'm, I'd probably be with, I mean, there can't be more than a one or 2% difference between <laughs> these two seasons, right? I mean, yeah. So certainly watch them. And at the time, I mean, that was the impression I had. Yeah. I think, and James 2012 would have to be in there too. We didn't even pick that one either. I mean, I kind of wanted to go for 09 cause it was just, a, it was a little bit different of a player. And I thought that season wasn't recognized, but you could easily argue for 12 for, for James also. Um, and that that would have to be probably it. if you really think about it, the two best players of all time in their best seasons shouldn't that be four of the top five seasons almost like automatically? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> but that that's also not as fun either. But um, <sighs> yeah, maybe I will go with Jordan ninety three as my number three. That's I, I think that's I'm glad you reminded me of that. I think that's probably the way to go. And then maybe Russell in uh, in sixty four as my number four. It would be even if we were going down that far. <sighs> All right. I mean, anything that just kind of pops out to you uh, about this process before we wrap up here? Um, it's hard. <laughs> that was that was that, that's first, my uh, my penetrating analysis. First, I mean, first of all, this league and the number of great seasons it's had, and the how high the bar is to get into this club. Because when I first got into it, I thought there would be more recent seasons than there were, and it became obvious to me the further I went into it how. How that wasn't the case. And it's just, I mean, I think we have a pretty good cross section of eras here. And it's just, it's just amazing. Some of these, some of these seasons that we've been able to witness in retrospect, when you go back and look at them and you think back on those, those games and those playoff games, especially and what a rarefied level some of these guys played at. When you're talking about all time great players at the absolute pinnacle of their powers. And how many all-time great players couldn't even make the cut for this? Yeah, that's a great point. For me, I think I would have an easier time if the question were, take one player in one year and who gives you the greatest chance? Like, who? which player season would have given a random team the best chance of winning a title? That question to me is actually an easier one. Then going back and really trying to say, okay, what exactly did the person do and how much value are we putting out? Which is, I think is kind of counterintuitive, right? You'd think like, okay, we're just, we don't have to extrapolate out how good the guy actually is. We just, we got it all, these statistics and we know what they did. So what's more valuable? But I think I, I somehow found that harder. Does that make any sense? No, cause there's, cause there's nuance in this and, yeah. and comparing things that are apples and oranges. So yeah, it, it absolutely was harder. Um, yeah, I mean, because for me, I would be like, okay, you know, Michael Jordan at his apex, that guy gives you the the greatest chance of winning a championship in a given year. Like that's that's easier for me to say than 
all right, you take the totality of his regular season, his playoffs, and how much you're going to weight each of those things. And all right, what was the competition like in the playoffs? And uh, all that, I find that there are almost more variables involved with that to me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And just, just the, the, the soft stuff, right? This, this stuff you can't just put a, put a number to necessarily. All right. Well, this is fun. We'll, uh, we'll have to figure out what we're going to talk about next week. Uh, the tw- the 20 worst but- seasons in NBA history. <laughs> oh, it was uh, our Mark Ivoroni discussion. Is that what <laughs> fighting words from Nate Duncan? <laughs> if, they, if there were actual two lane players in the NBA, I'd say something back. Oh man, I, I, I had one time, uh, at the Tulane Rec Center. It was actually during the lockout, mm-hmm. uh, when, uh, Gerald Honeycutt, you remember him? Yes. So he was like, you know, sort of a part of the, I would call him like a, a poor man's Clarence Weatherspoon, who <laughs> himself was a poor man's Barkley, but there was kind of this run on Barkley like players in the 90, like Byron yeah. Houston. Mm-hmm. was in that they just these like kind of big guys who could jump a little bit but like couldn't really defend and at that time you didn't know whether they were a three or a four so i think he, he had a cup of coffee with the sixers but he was just back at tulane playing you know pickup at the rec center and i, I was like you know, I'm, people don't know i'm six six i'm like a pretty decent shot blocker for high school this is my first year you know i'd never played against someone who was actually like an nba level of talent at that time before and so he like took off from the dotted line off of two feet. And I actually tried to jump to block his dunk. And, uh, How'd that I think go? I was like, I was pulling pieces of the net out of my hair for weeks afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. um, yeah. And, and he was like a bad NBA player. Yeah. That the thing <laughs> that you, that is really amazing when you, when you work in the league and see these guys practice every day is how awesome even the, the absolute shittiest player in the league is at basketball, like so much better than, than anyone you knew, you you know, growing up could ever have imagined becoming (laughs) like, and that's the worst player in the team. Who who is like the best player that you ever played basketball against in any setting? Like like based on like what their powers were at the time that you played them. Oh, uh, Terry DeHair and Bobby Hurley. They, they were uh, high school guards in New Jersey at the same time I was, and we we scrimmaged against them once, and thank God nobody kept score. <laughs> but were I they, could, were I, they on the same team? Was that like that? Saint yeah, Anthony? yeah, they were the same team. They were ranked number one in the country, St. Anthony's High School in New Jersey. Um, and the, um, but I can technically say that I scored a basket on Terry DeHair, uh, who was a lottery pick from the, from the Clippers, didn't have a great pro career, but was the all time leading scorer in the Big East for a long time. Um, because a teammate of mine tried to take a shot in the paint and the, and it got volleyball spiked <laughs> and it came to me right on the bounce and I shot it and scored. So that was me scoring on Terry DeHair. That, that's what I'll tell people. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's uh yeah. I, I don't think I ever. Uh, that's probably the only time I ever played against a guy who was actually in the NBA at the time. I think that's that's the only one. Um, there's a few guys I played against who like would later be in the NBA, but no, right. no one as good as Bobby Hurley. I don't think. I, and I played in a a uh, pickup game at the G League Showcase in maybe like 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, Alan Houston, who you know had been retired yeah. for like 10 years by that point, but he was a you know, Knicks executive. He comes out, there's like a 6 a.m. pickup game with like all the like G League 
uh, you know, video coordinators and stuff. And I played in that game. And so he was like, yeah, you know, my Achilles are really sore. Like I haven't really played in like about five years. So, so he just comes out and plays like one game, just gimping around and just hits like, you know, seven jumpers, like right in my face. I'm like, you know, when you feel like usually when you play, you have a pretty good idea of like, all right, I got a pretty good contest on this. Like maybe I'll yeah. make a miss. Yeah. And uh, I did, I did not in fact make, I mean, he's getting like two inches off the ground, but he just had that high release. He's just shooting right over me. Yeah. And, uh, and then he was like, yeah, you know, I, I feel terrible. I got to go sit back down. Like my, my Achilles are killing me. And I'm just like, this is him at like 1%. <laughs> like what he used to be. He just busted my ass. <laughs> <laughs> all right we are uh, we're we're going off the rails here so we'll, we'll yeah. pack it in um but yeah thanks so much for listening if you haven't checked out the covid daily news uh, my podcast with ben taylor the idea is if you are getting stressed out by reading the news all the time and feeling like you're struggling to keep up we actually read a bunch of news to try to curate that for you and provide a, a somewhat analytical look at it i don't really know anyone else who's doing a, a podcast like that right now we actually got a nice endorsement from Nate Silver on Twitter, which was, uh, I will be marketing the shit out of that now because that was, uh, it, it, he's definitely, a, I think, a pretty trusted voice uh, in news. So we're actually. And in analytics. Seem, yeah. Yeah. So it seems like we're actually doing, uh, people think we're doing some good work. So I hopefully, I know you don't want to listen to more about the coronavirus, but the idea is that like by listening to the show, you can actually minimize your coronavirus consumption. That's kind of, kind of the idea. Um, and then uh, what else you got going on with The Athletic this week? So, yeah, I've been watching a lot of tape on draft prospects. So I got a column coming out. Uh, I think it's going to come out tomorrow morning, actually, uh, on uh, my five hot takes where I'm kind of going against the the, the consensus on, on the draft. So be sure to check that out. And, would you uh, rather visit a Florida beach or watch more tape of this draft class? If you, if you had to decide. <laughs> That's that, that's a good question. Now, now uh, I, I'm segueing into your other podcast here, but have, how how much of a risk is a is a beach opening at this at this point? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I I haven't even looked at that. Sorry, I just saw like there there are some headlines that like yeah. they, uh they uh had reopened. Um, Th- this class is is bad at the top, uh, but it's actually it it's okay as far as when you get into it. Being able to find rotation-ish players actually deep in point guards, so it's it's not it's not a total trash heap. All right, well, good. I'm encouraged. I, I've done three prospects so far on Dunked On, and so at some point, I'm sure we can talk about like our our boards for the top ten. But yeah, um, yeah. all right, man. Uh, good talking. We'll uh, we'll catch up to you, everyone next week. Till Thanks, then. everyone. At Bet three six five, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.